that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Americanism, not globalism, will be our credo as long as we are led by politicians who will not put America first then we can be assured that other nations will not treat America with respect, the respect that we deserve. You're listening to the voice of the future. Fighting for America every day. This is the conservative crusader. And here's your host, GOP Josh. Hello and welcome to the Conservative Crusader. My name is GOP Josh. Thank you for tuning in here on the Red Future Radio Network. Very excited to be joining you, as always, every Tuesday and Thursday over these here airwaves, redfutureradio.com, gopjosh.com, wherever you get your podcasts or wherever you're listening right now, just stay tuned. For every episode, every Tuesday and Thursday, stay in tune with me on Twitter as my major platform, GOPJosh20 on Twitter. My Telegram is a great way for emergency communications as t.me slash GOPJosh. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Getter, Gab, Parler, Telegram, Truth Social, all of my big social media platforms that I'm on and I take seriously are those. So make sure you're following me there. Just search GOP Josh. I should come up if I'm not being uh, uh, just dressed down in in the in the um, in the algorithms. We are going to begin by talking about President Biden and kind of a sad story. Um, sad because he's obviously cognitively not there. Also sad because it's involving someone who's not alive anymore. The biggest thing I try to do on this program is to not talk about sad things. I mean, as best you can in today's America. But last night, we truly saw how cognitively absent Joe Biden is. How his cognitive abilities are non-existent. And we knew that already. We already knew that. But at this point, Joe Biden cannot distinguish the alive from the dead. A congresswoman from, um, I believe she was from Indiana, yes, passed away in August. Jackie Walorowski, she passed away in August. Joe Biden was at a speech last night about hunger, which is a big issue that she focused on. It is the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. He was speaking, and I believe we have the clip here. Yes, I can play the clip. And so many of you know so much about this as well, and you're committed. And I want to thank all of you here for 
including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was was going to be here to help make this. And that was the whole clip. That was everything Biden had to say about her. Uh, She passed away in a car accident with a chief of staff and another member of the Republican Party of Indiana, I believe, if I remember correctly, in a car accident early last month. Uh, About two months ago now. Biden was planning on meeting with the family tomorrow, I believe, or today at this point. I don't remember exactly. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, her staffers, communications director Emma Thomas and district director Zachary Potts were killed in the accident. Potts, the driver, had somehow turned into oncoming traffic is what happened in that instance. So the northbound vehicle also passed away in that instance. A sad situation all around. Joe Biden, the president of the United States, who has at an event that honored this lady, they had a broadcast and they had a pre-recorded memory video of her, an in-memoriam video of her, because this was an issue she focused on in Congress. He saw all that. I'm assuming he saw that all. He knew that she passed away two months ago when he made a statement about it. And he is still... To this day, trying to have a conversation with her and trying to bring her on stage and trying to acknowledge her. Now, I'm glad it's a positive thing. I'm glad it's not like something happened to Matt Gates and he's attacking him and, and MAGA Republicans. But still, at this point, two months later, and the, the, the White House press secretary, Crane Jean-Pierre, should not be in that position. I mean, at all. She tries to walk back everything, which I understand. That's part of her job. She does it so terribly. I'm not entirely sure if we have this clip on hand. But the biggest statement at the press briefing... Yes, uh, we do have the clip. All right. Uh, It's cut four. Uh, Yes, play cut four. The late Congresswoman was top of mind for the president, and her family was expected to be here, and that's what he- And our computer is being phenomenal right now. Now it's playing a different clip. All right. We're going to try to get that clip uh, in the in the behind the scenes. We'll play that if we get it. But Corinne Jean-Pierre was pretty much saying, well, well, she was the top of mind of the president. Here it is. Yep. We should have it now. All right. We good? All right. Let's try it again. I'm trying to get my head around the response. If the late congresswoman was top of mind for the president and her family was expected to be here and that's what he was thinking about, what, why was he looking for? I'm not trying to be snarky here. No, I mean, and I'm... No. Nope. saying what he said there. And again, I think people can understand. I think the American people out there who, you know, watch the briefing uh, from time to time, maybe at this moment, will understand when someone is at top of mind. Uh, and uh, and this was such an important uh, such an important event when we're talking about hunger, when we're talking about food insecurity, when we're talking about these champions, these congressional champions who were in the room, who have worked in a bipartisan way. Uh, we, you know, we don't talk much about bipartisan actions that we see in Congress at this time. And as he was naming folks, he she was on top of mind, and he understands and knew that she was he was going to see uh, her family on Friday. What? No, I'm sorry. I'm sure everyone listening to this program has dealt with loss in one way or another, and for that I am sorry. 
But I don't think that anyone, unless you are cognitively absent, and that's the best way to put it, the, the most professional way to put it, would be asking to speak with someone and to bring someone on stage who is deceased, whose family you're meeting the next day. Are you kidding me? No, I'm sorry. If I am, if I ever, anyone listening at Red Feature Radio listening to this or, and I start talking, asking for someone who passed away, if I start asking to have Jackie uh, Walerowski on the program, please just take the microphone away from me. I mean, seriously. At that point, she has passed away. She has been passed away for two months. God bless her soul. And he is still asking for her. That is evidence of cognitive decline. Absolutely, positively, undoubtedly evidence of cognitive decline. Now, this is where I start to question. When does the 25th Amendment or impeachment become a serious topic of discussion? When does the cabinet, the, the Biden cabinet, come together and say, listen, this is not getting better. This is only getting worse. Biden's cognitive abilities have not been fully there in a long time. And they're only getting worse to this day. How do they see the, the trendingness of this topic, the publication of this topic, and say, well, you know, we're going to just keep them there. It is outlined in the Constitution on purpose, where if a president is cognitively unavailable, that the cabinet can take over and, and remove that president from power, remove that president from office, and put in a president who is cognitively there. Now, I don't believe Kamala Harris is the best choice, but she would be vice president. She would be next in line. And I don't believe she's cognitively there either, but she never has been. At least at one point in his career, Biden had some common sense. Kamala Harris has never had that. But I digress. This is a man who is clearly sick, who is clearly suffering with some sort of cognitive decline. We, we all know that. We've all seen that. But this is the major point. This is the, the first time in a long time that people from both sides of the aisle are saying, yeah, this is, this is bad. I've never had someone that passed away, that I know passed away, that I remember passed away on the top of my mind and said, yeah, I want to meet that person. I want to have them on stage with me. I want to speak to them. That is not a common practice. That is not a common problem. That is not a common philosophy. That is a lack of cognitive ability by the leader of the free world. In no way, shape, or form should Joe Biden, this 82-year-old man, or 81, I don't even know how old he is. So he's, he's in his 70s, I'm sorry. 78-year-old man be holding power in the United States of America. At no point at this point where he can't even remember a name and can't remember if someone passed away. Get him out of there. You're listening to The Conservative Crusader. This is The Conservative Crusader. Whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive department or other such bodies as Congress may the, may the by law provide transmit to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge their to the power to discharge the powers and duties of his office. 
the vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office of, as acting president. That is section the beginning of Section 4 of the 25th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, as provided by Hillsdale College, not sponsored. But I have that copy pretty much in my back pocket at all times of the U.S. Constitution because it's important in today's day and age, as always. But I, I brought that up during the break, and I, I grabbed that during the break because we are in that situation. You can't tell me that Kamala Harris wouldn't sign that right away. Oh, I get to become president. Yay, yeah, hey, hey, and sign that right away, right? And I believe a majority of the, what's the exact wording, principal officers, I believe they are right up there with her. Um, yes. Either they're principal officers of the executive department or of other such body as Congress. He is unfit. Biden in the policies and in the actions and the words that he spoke, make him unfit for office. 574-675-6747. 57GOP Josh 7 is our phone number. Moving on. If you have something to weigh into the program, those are our ways of contact. You can also contact me, josh at gopjosh.com. And if you prefer not using your phone number, I understand. Anchor.fm slash the conservative crusader slash message. All right. Moving on. If you've noticed, if you've been following, the same thing I've been following is raising gas prices. Gas prices are outrageous right now in some parts of Ohio, over $3.50 a gallon. Currently, at this moment, gas is pouring out of the Nord Stream pipelines. The Russian gas pipelines we've been getting involved in because we have not, well, frankly, had our own pipelines. They're shutting down our pipelines and shutting down the, the development of our pop- pipelines. Because of, of climate change, but they can have climate change themselves. Whatever. This is from London in CNN Business, London, England. Western nations have said leaks in two Russian gas pipelines, Nord Stream 1 and 2, are likely the result of sabotage. On Monday, leaks were discovered in the pipelines promoting investigations by European authorities that determined that powerful underwater explosions had occurred just before the pipelines burst in several places. The pipelines were created to funnel gas from Russia into the European Union and were controversial long before Russia waged war on Ukraine, largely because of fears around European reliance on Russian energy. But the latest incident are yet another twist in the energy standoff that erupted after Russia's invasion and which has only been deepening in the seven months since. So that is our current situation with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. We're following this story very very closely here at Red Feature Radio at the Conservative Crusader. Because... This determines our energy policy. This determines our energy prices and what the United States needs to do to get our own energy. Nord Stream may not go exactly to us or specifically to us or directly to us in any way. But global energy problems have a global reaction. So we're following this story. It is likely sabotage and a terrorist attack of some sort. We'll be reporting on that as we can here at Red Feature Radio at the Conservative Crusader. Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, your primetime broadcast, Red Future Radio. Following that as we can. I just wanted to bring that up, mention that, get that out of the way, letting you know that if gas prices are going up, here you go. It's because our, we're, we're, sorry about that, I just dropped my pin on my microphone, for goodness sakes. It's because we are too reliant on Russian energy, too reliant on that country, and too reliant on global energy when we have it underneath our feet. If you're, if you're listening in our major state, Ohio, the state that we broadcast the most in. 
you are you are walking on on what they're spilling out into the ocean. All right, so so let's move on, folks. And I want to bring up something kind of funny first. The Democrat nominee for Wisconsin Senate or the Senate in Wisconsin has said once in 2013, "I really could not care less about the Second Amendment right. Bear arms all you wish, but you should pray." You should pay for your mishandling. That's what he said. Let, let's move on to to another tweet he tweeted. Because remember, in the in the last four years between 2016 and 2020, our election system became phenomenally stronger. Right, everything happened to make our elections unquestionable. If you question the 2020 election, if you even reference that the 2020 election may have had a little bit of fraudulent activity. You are thrown off the platform, thrown off of YouTube, thrown off of Twitter, thrown off of the public squares of society. Mandela Barnes, November 9th, 2016. The election was rigged. Exact quote. The election was rigged. This man is three percentage points away from the U.S. Senate folks and believes that when his candidate loses, it's fraud. And when the most fraudulent election in American history between the mail-in balloting, between this and that, between the mules, the on-tape proven mules, oh, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, Biden won fair and square, right? That's the situation. That's the, that, that's the importance of this election. In every state, every Democrat candidate, I'm pretty sure, Major in the in the major swing states, at least in the U.S. Senate, believed the election was stolen in 2016 away from Hillary Clinton when the election was fair, when most ballots were cast via in person. But as soon as Biden wins, and as soon as the elections mail in only, and as soon as anyone can mail in a ballot, even if they're deceased, and as soon as a hundred year old people in nursing homes that can't think for themselves can mail in a ballot, that election is free and fair, and you cannot question it. Or you will get locked down and shut down and thrown off the platform and thrown off of society. If you're in Wisconsin, for our percentage of listeners in Wisconsin, remember, remember, frankly, that we need to get out and vote Ron Johnson and Tim Michaels for Senate and governor, respective, uh, respectively. So I want to move on to this funny story. John Kelly stopped Donald Trump from probably the best part of his presidency. Donald Trump, according to the independent.co.uk, Donald Trump nearly fired Ivanka and Jared via tweet. Can you imagine that timeline? Somewhere there's a a multiverse, folks, where where Trump fired his son or his daughter and son-in-law via a tweet. According to an early copy of New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman's new book obtained by CNN, then-president was seconds away from firing off a tweet that would have alerted his daughter Ivanka Trump and her husband that they were no longer employed in the White House. And they were both working as senior White House aides who reportedly grew tired of his son-in-law's presence, Trump was, and described him as sounding like a child only decided not to fire them from the fury of his thumbs because then-Chief of Staff John Kelly and then-White House Counsel Don, uh, Don McGahn warned against it. Boo! <laughs> I would have loved to see that, folks. That would have been hilarious. And it was well-deserved. I could not stand Jared Kushner since day one. He's always had 
America last policies, always had America last perspectives. He is not our guy. And just because he's related to Donald Trump in any way really shouldn't be the 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 deciding factor for his employment in the White House. The conversation, Ms. Haberman writes, never happened. Ivanka and Mr. Kushner remained employed at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue until their boss and relative departed in January of 2021. Despite publicly seeming to remain in the former president's good graces up until his final hours in the White House, it has previously been reported that the relationship between the couple and Mr. Trump began to fray in the weeks leading up to the January 6th Capitol riot. Mr. Kushner apparently began seeing the writing on the walls, began etching his plans to flee the coup before the former president had officially even lost his bid for the 2020 election, uh, re-election in 2020, according to the New York Times. We're moving to Miami, he told his wife on midnight and 4 November, according to reporting from the New York Times journalist Peter Baker and the New Yorker Susan Glacier for their book The Divider to Trump in the White House. Uh, Ivanka had been publicly iced out by her father after recorded testimony of her was screened this past summer at one of the January 6th House Select Committee public hearings. So if you are Donald Trump, the leader of the free world, the president of the United States, the king of kings, so to speak, within the within America's perspective, and you have a son-in-law that is America last all the way through and through, I'm sorry. Why couldn't have you just fired off that tweet? You know how big of a wave that would have made? You know how major that would have just went? And blew up across social media, blew up across everything. It would have been hilarious. I'm sorry. If you could imagine, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm laughing talking about it. It's hard to talk about. What we could have had. What we could have had. With, with Donald Trump firing off an angry tweet, firing his own daughter and his own son-in-law. That is the Trump that I worked for, that I support, in that, frankly. We, we, we should have had. We, we should have had it. I'm sorry. Maybe I shouldn't talk that way, but I would have loved to see a scenario where Jared Kushner, baby Kushner, and Ivanka Trump and their terrible America last policies were fired via tweet. Now, I'm sorry. I, I wouldn't want to be fired during, via the tweet, but you are. You are currently working for the president of the United States and your father-in-law or your father, period. I mean, come on, really? We will. Why? Why couldn't we see that? I, I'm sorry. I'm just. Uh, why? Why couldn't we see that? That reality is the reality I want to live in every single day. My name is JP Josh. We're back after this. You're listening to the Conservative Crusader. This is the Conservative Crusader. Tourists from all around the world come to Washington, D.C. for our monuments and to enjoy enjoy a little bit of historical education as they vacation. Apparently, celebrities really are just like us, because famous singer Lizzo paid a special visit to the Library of Congress Monday when she was in the district for her Lizzo colon the special tour. The renowned flutist gave Tuesday's audience at her Capital One Arena performance quite the treat when she survived everyone by performing on a historical 200-year-old flute, crystal flute, a French fluter made the ordnance instrument in 1813, specifically for President James Madison in honor of his second inauguration. All right. So we are 
if, if you're not familiar with Lizzo, she's a rapper, a singer. I don't know. She's she's not a good musician, frankly. She is a flutist. She plays the flute uh, every now and again. And, and she is very proud of her stature and the way she is built, right? And most people would say it's probably severe obesity or, or even worse, but... But, you know, she's proud of herself. She's a, she's a bad bleep, as she claims to be. So we're going to move on from that, But I, I from her description. But in what scenario is a woman who is not very, what's the word, majorly involved in the United States or in the United States history or policy or anything, Given the honor of playing such a valuable instrument, such a valuable thing for American history, James Madison's flute. Now, I'm not a flutist myself. I played the clarinet for a while, but I'm not a flutist. Where do you... How do you feel if you're if you're a... We have a lot of high school listeners. I'm a high school student myself. A lot of our students are younger. If you were not given the opportunity because you're not a bad bleep who's proud of yourself and your over your overweight uh, obesity but you, you she she got to play a 200 year old flute owned by a former president of the United States what i mean i, I how is she qualified for that that is an honor that sh- that flute should never have been played again if it is in a museum it is should it should be left there i really don't think that Maybe this is just me. I don't know. I'm not speaking very well on this topic, but if something's in a museum because it was owned by a historical person and the person who played it last was a historical person, why should this flute be picked up and handed away to Lizzo, of all people? She said in a a quote, bleep, I just twerked and played James Madison's crystal flute from the 1800s, she shouted, We just made history tonight. In her tweet, Nobody has ever heard this famous crystal flute before. Now you have. I'm the first and only person to ever play this presidential 200-year-old crystal flute. Thank you at Library of Congress. Or at Library of Congress. She thanked the Library of Congress for, quote, Preserving our history and making history freaking cool I'm confused how so so I don't know if James Madison himself actually played this flute but it was made for him it was his flute why is she able to play I don't know how she deserves that honor if it was never been played before for 200 years it should have never been played that's just me. All right, let's move on. I just wanted to get that out of there. Uh, I'm not a Lizzo fan. I'm not a fan of her music. I've, I've heard a couple clips of songs on Instagram reels, but I'm not a big fan. You know, I'm, that's not my genre. I'm a, I'm a hard rocker. My <laughs> ACDC is my preferred genre over Lizzo. So Moscow was poised on Wednesday to annex a swath of Ukraine, releasing what is called vote tally, showing support in four partially occupied provinces to join Russia after what Kiev and the West denounced as an illegal sham referendums held at gunpoint. On Moscow's Red Square, a tribune of a giant video screen has been set up with billboards proclaiming, uh, proclaiming Donstek, 
Lugans, I'm not even trying to pronounce his name. You can read the you can read it in the link below at the Rutgers link. And then it ends with Russia. Vladimir Putin could proclaim the annexation in a speech within days, just over a week since he endorsed the referendums, endorsed, uh, ordered a military mobilization at home, and threatened to defend Russia with nuclear weapons if necessary. The Russian-installed administration of the four Ukrainian provinces on Wednesday formally asked Putin to incorporate them into Russia, which Russian officials have suggested is a formality. We have spent, what is the running total, running total U.S. money, Ukraine? I just want to see how much we've spent in Ukraine so far. Um, as of August 25th, $2.98 billion. No, that's not right at all. We, we've spent hundreds of billions of dollars, haven't we? Let me go to a different thing here. 15th package, or that was, okay, the, these articles are very out of date. The most recent one is from the 10th. Does it have a total number here? Uh, I'm not a big fan of this piece at all, but we have sent $40 billion, $110 million a day over the last year. That's that's the number. $110 million a day to Ukraine. Now, I've said from the beginning that this is probably not a winnable war. This is probably not a war that can be won easily by Ukraine. They are the underdog. I never took a side either way in this war. I'm not a big foreign war fan. But when we pour $110 million, $110 million a day into a foreign country just for them to lose, is a day I question every Republican that voted. Well, I, I questioned them from the from day one. Every Republican that voted for that legislation, every Democrat that voted for that legislation, which is all of them, and the president who authorized the use of these funds. A hundred and ten million dollars a day. Okay, how, what does the average MAGA hat cost? That, that's my question. Because they talk about how, oh, mega hats are so bad and so expensive and uh, Trump's making money off you. Here, the most expensive mega hat, I believe, is $40, right? Yes, $40. Okay, so let's divide $110 million divided by $40. If I added the right amount of commas there, $2,750,000 2, mega hats. All right. So in future, Adam Kinzinger, Liz Cheney, um, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, if you're listening to this program, in the future, instead of just wasting our money away, just buy a special two hundred and fifty or two two million seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar or thousand MAGA hats, and gift them to random Republican voters. There's a like seventy million of us. I'll take another one. Just gift them to random Republican voters. Spend the money on MAGA hats instead of foreign wars that will never win. If we are in a scenario where it is a possible winnable war and it will actually benefit the United States, which no war in, in the past 100 years has benefited the United States, if we're being honest. If we're getting deep into it, outside of World War, uh, the World War when we had to defend ourselves, any war that we haven't had to defend ourselves has not been worth it, in my opinion. So, so at least in modern American history. We are at a scenario 
and at this point, where we have wasted away generations and generations and generations and generations of tax dollars, generations and generations of income, generations of children, generations of of funds, dug ourselves in a deeper debt than we've been in in American history, as we always are, and we still didn't provide enough because they couldn't win the war on their own. The whole policy has been, and this is going to be the excuse for us to send in in our troops to Ukraine, is that, well, we've gone in far enough. We've gone in all this money. We've put all this money and we put everything in. But they aren't going to win, so we need to send in our troops. And then Russia's going to send troops here. And then we're going to send troops into Russia. And then Russia's going to get their buddy China to send troops into Taiwan. And then we're going to send troops into Taiwan, and then China's going to send troops here, and then we're in a world war. That's how it's going to go down, I have a good feeling at least. That's the scenario we're in. Now that's when I question our leadership completely. And I I always question leadership. No Republican, no Democrat, no Independent, no Libertarian in Congress has actually done anything good in a long time. And that's the policy we're in right now, and that's the, the leadership we're in right now. But that's where our, where we're at, and that's their excuse for eventually sending troops in there and then starting the next world war is because they, they want to make sure that our, our money is invested properly, right? We're going to make sure our money is invested in Ukraine. Money is invested, and the resources we put in are, are used properly, I guess, even though. Where'd that money go? Where, where did $110 million a day go? Who in the Democratic Party and the Republican establishment's pockets did it line? That's what I really want to know. And that's what Americans deserve to know. It's our money. They're shoving down their throat for them to lose the war. For them to lose their territory that that was supposedly Ukraine's in the first place. I don't understand why we were involved in the first place. But we're involved and it's our duty as Americans and our duty as the people who pay their checks to find out where that money went. Why that money's gone. Etc. 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 My name is GOP Josh. This is the Conservative Crusader. This is the Red Future Radio Network. We have some more to get to when we return involving the great, great, great patriotic Buckeye state of Ohio. When we return, Conservative Crusader, Red Future Radio, stay tuned in right here. Don't touch that dial. Don't touch that channel and stay tuned. You're listening to the Conservative Crusader. This is the Conservative Crusader. So J.D. Vance is the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate, and his Democrat opponent, Congressman Tim Ryan, has constantly and unwaveringly attacked him for being California money, for being in California. And I'll admit I did the same thing when I was in that scenario, right? When I was against J.D. Vance, but I am a Republican united behind the party in this instance. So I'm not going to go out there and attack him. But, but J.D. Vance said, well, or Tim Ryan said, well, J.D. Vance is bankrolled by California money. He's not elected by the people of Ohio. He's not fundraised by the people of Ohio. And, and then J.D. Vance, did, or uh, Tim Ryan did this last night. So yesterday, Tim Ryan was in California, expected to raise more than $100,000 at a home in Los Angeles. And he voted by proxy in the House. 
Determined to keep the Democrat congressional majority in the November midterms, a group of Hollywood-esque type people who care about politics is throwing its support behind the U.S. Senate campaign of Congressman Tim Ryan of Ohio. Ryan, who's running against Donald Trump acolyte J.D. Vance for an open U.S. Senate seat, is expected to raise well over $100,000 at a super agent Jay Suris' West Side house on Wednesday night, obviously last night. Suris, who was recently promoted to the position of vice chairman and board member at the United Talent Agency, told the rap that the Ohio race is certainly one of the most, if not the most important Senate race where Democrats can pick up a seat. Co-chairs include UTA founding member and board member Peter Benedtech, Gray Hunges, operating partner at a private equity firm, his wife, Sarah Goodman, a TV producer who worked on Gossip Girl. Uh, on Thursday today, Ryan will headline a morning gathering co-hosted by actor Brian Taylor Cohen, more, more commonly known as a Resist Lib on Twitter, comedian Howie Mandel and his wife, producer Sarah, uh, SEAL Team producer Sarah Tib, uh, Timberman, 21 Jump Street producer David Levinson and his wife Ellie Herman, a TV writer-slash-producer who worked on Jerinko, Desperate Housewives, and the S-Dollar Sign Street. He's in California bankrolling the pockets and getting his pockets bankrolled. 50 people were going to be in attendance with an estimated donation of $5,000 apiece. At that point, as reported originally by Taylor Populares of the uh, Spectrum News in Columbus, I believe, or in Ohio, period, as the House convenes for votes tonight, O.H. Singh candidate Tim Ryan is in California. That is the report. At a fundraising breakfast, which we talked about. This is a, a, a kind of an editorial. I mean, Taylor Popular as, is a leftist. As I said last week, it's common for candidates in major federal races to travel the country to fundraise. J.D. Vance has done it too, an element he has. But Tim Ryan's visit to California comes as he and his O.H. Singh campaign... Keep criticizing Vance for the time Vance spends out in Ohio. This is out of Ohio. This is a clip. I'm not going to play the clip. It's two minutes long. From the Tim Ryan campaign. Published while Tim Ryan was in California. Where a guy wearing a cut the BS get bleep done t-shirt. With Tim Ryan workers first on the back. Goes around and interviews people in Middletown, Ohio. The town J.D. Vance is from. About Tim Ryan's book, or about J.D. Vance's book, I'm sorry, where he said that people, some people are lazy. Now, how are you tone deaf enough? You're you're that tone deaf as a politician, as a candidate, that you're going to travel out of state and have your campaign publish this video at the same time. So either the communications director for Tim Ryan doesn't understand that he is in California, doesn't know his bo- their boss's schedule and where he's going to be at certain times and when not to publish certain things on social media. Or they're just that tone deaf and saying, well, yeah, I mean, that's fine, you know. I mean, he, he he's there sometimes, but who cares, right? I mean, as long as he's there in Ohio for his tweet about uh, some coffee shop or whatever he wants to tweet about, he's fine. J- uh, Tim Ryan gets a free pass. But that J.D. Vance, man, he's never in Ohio and he hates Ohio and he's from California and he has California money. Two sides of the same coin. This is the this is the best scenario. If the biggest issue to you in this race was somehow outside money, it wasn't inflation, it wasn't immigration, it wasn't even climate change or abortion or re- reproductive rights. If your biggest issue was outside money, outside money, outside money, you'd have no one to vote for. 
You'd have to find one of the writing candidates and put their name in there because they're not being funded. I mean, the irony. It's the biggest thing is the hypocrisy and the irony of the Tim Ryan campaign where they spend time, they spend money, resources, having this guy, some some guy, interview people on the street saying, well, J.D. Vance is never in Ohio. How do you feel about that? While Tim Ryan is not in Ohio or in Washington, D.C., where he's supposedly hired by the people of Ohio's 13th Congressional District. Remember that? Where he's an elected member, member to Congress? While votes were happening, he used a COVID precaution to vote by proxy while going to a breakfast dinner and a dinner, a breakfast meal and a dinner, fundraising, trying to raise $100,000 for his campaign, his dying campaign, his losing campaign. Well, it's a losing campaign, kind of. And this is where we transition to the polling aspect of today's program. And I want to also bring up a poll after this about in Oregon. So don't let me forget that, folks. In Oregon, as it is leaning Republican. Okay. Governor Mike DeWine is not going to lose, obviously. He is beating Nan Whaley by 23 points. 23 points. So this is a poll... Um, 33% of the respondents were Republican, 27 a Democrat, 34 is independent or other. 49% said they voted for Donald Trump in the 2020 presidential election. With about six weeks left until election day, the vast majority of Ohio's independent polls considered polling aggregator, uh, considered by polling aggregator, uh, 538 to be nonpartisan and unaffiliated, have pointed in, in DeWine's favor. So the latest polls have him pretty much trouncing her, trouncing Nan Whaley. All but two of Ohio's independent polls found a statistical dead heat between Vance and Ryan, who are competing to replace Rob Portman, a Republican who decided to not seek re-election. Both candidates accepted an invitation from NBC4 and his parent company Nextstar to participate in a debate in Northeast Ohio on October 10th. Mark the calendar down, folks. October 10th. It's a Saturday, and there will be a J.D. Vance versus Tim Ryan debate. And right now in the polling... Ryan is winning most polls. They are all left-wing polls. They're pretty much left-wing polls. And everyone but ones having Vance winning are within the margin of error in the last month. So so Vance is going to win. I mean, he has that race on lock. Outside money can stop. I mean, I mean it will. I mean, it won't, but kind of tone it down. Focus that money on governor races in... Um, Arizona, or yeah, Arizona, and the Senate race in Arizona, governor races and Senate races in Pennsylvania, the governor's race in Michigan, the Senate race in Wisconsin, and that's more important. One poll has been in the Chief Justice race so far. Sharon Kennedy and Jennifer Bruner are two current justices vying to uh, replace Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor. They both received about 40%. About 18% said they're undecided. Neither is well-known by Ohio voters. Party affiliations will be listed next to the name of candidates running for the Supreme Court. So Ohioans, once again, vote Republican in those races as they need your support wholeheartedly. All right. One more story about Oregon. Oregon's election. And Oregon's governorship will lean Republican right now. In my pro- in my projections, it will 
lean Republican. It will probably go Republican by a pretty astounding margin. And this isn't a, a margin thing. It's just more like, a yeah, I have a feeling that's going to happen. In a new poll, Republican Christine Trazen received 39% to Tina Kotex, the Democrats, 35%. That is phenomenal. Actually, and that's even when the Independent is taking votes from the Republican. Let's go. Let, let, let's go. I mean, uh, frankly, Red Oregon is happening if the people have it. Now, this may be suppression polls for the Republican Party to try to say, well, it's safe. No need to vote Republicans. But, but every person listening to this program right now over the age of 18 needs to register to vote right now. Vote.org and vote on Election Day in person at your polling place. With a paper ballot. And vote for the Republicans that you support and the conservatives that you support, whether they're Republican or they're independent or they're right in. Who you support and who you vote for is up to you. I'm going to encourage you throughout the rest of the program for the entirety of the next few months and the next couple months to encourage you to vote for Republicans and conservatives, whether or not Republicans. I think that you should vote for J.D. Vance. I think if you're in OH15, you should vote for Mike Carey. OH9, vote for J.R. Majewski. Wherever you are voting, vote for the Republican. In most scenarios, I'm not telling you to vote for Mike DeWine. It's the only time I'm going to say no. Ron Johnson, vote Republican. Tim Michaels, vote Republican. Doug Mastriana, vote Republican. Mehmet Oz, vote Republican. Vote Republican to save this nation. Vote Republican to stop Brandon and Biden's policies. Stop the cognitive disability and move forward together. As a united right wing, as a united Republican Party, united conservative group of American patriots that love their country and want to see it prosper. Until... Next Tuesday, my friend, the next program will air on Red Future Radio on October 3rd, already into October, folks. October 3rd, 2022, 8 p.m. Listen to you here and stay here, but keep your radio tuned to Red Future Radio at all times for the Samuel McGuire Show on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, this program on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and who knows, maybe even some more programs here very soon. My name is GOP Josh. Thank you for listening. GOPjosh.com, RedFutureRadio.com. Anchor is the sponsor of the program, and wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We love you. America loves you. You love America, and stay tuned. You're listening to The Conservative Crusader. 